this morning. Well, this past week, I was reminded of how much money I have saved my husband. Yeah, I knew there would be at least a chuckle. I thought, well, maybe there would be an eye roll or maybe, you know, a rebuttal would happen when I would make a statement like that because other wives have said that as well. And that's usually the husband's response is like, oh, here we go again. Well, in this particular area, though, it really is true. It is true. You see, I was pulling up um, some music videos last week and, and YouTube is usually where I go for that. In fact, that's where we get our, our worship music is YouTube. It's just a site on the internet if you're not familiar with it. And anyway, as I was pulling up that music this week, um, a commercial came up. Yes, they even give you commercials there. Um, but this commercial was for cosmetics. Yep. Um, I tried wearing makeup back in eighth grade. I had a boyfriend, thought that's what you're supposed to do is then wear makeup. Um, and, and so tried wearing makeup, but, but I was a three-sport athlete, so cross-country, track, and basketball, not necessarily in that order. But anyway, and, and so, of course, a lot of workouts, a lot of competitions, a lot of sweat. Yes, girls sweat, okay? And, and you wipe it off with your sleeve. You go like this, and, and it's like, yuck. You know, and, and I thought, well, this isn't making a whole lot of sense. Put it on in the morning, having it wiped off by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, what's the point? Okay, and not only that, I learned I really hated having something on my face. I just, I just, it, it's just not for me. I can't do it. It just didn't make sense. Yeah, so I learned that my modest $15 I've spent on makeup in the last 32 years. That's about what I, I figured. $15 in 32 years. According to one study, this means that I'm on course to spend one one-thousandth of what the average American woman spends on cosmetics. One one-thousandth. Because it's actually, they say, $15,000 in a lifetime. I'm like, oh my goodness. Now, that's average, okay? So for those of us that don't wear much makeup or any at all, that really, somebody else out there is spending a lot of money. So I can say with confidence, I've saved my husband a lot of money. Of course, we, we, we talked about that this week, and we wondered, where is the $15,000? <laughs> Maybe we'll find it yet. Now. I, I do want to clarify, I'm not saying wearing makeup's wrong. I'm not saying wearing makeup's a sin. That's, that's not at all. Um, it's just not for me. And, and even though there are some that probably would look at me and say, yes, she should wear makeup, sorry, it's not going to happen. It's just not. It's not me. So, all right. Of course, what I really want to get across is every commercial has a promise. Every commercial has a promise. And so as I listened to this spiel on this particular product line, um, I learned what the goal of the company was, okay? So get ready for this. The spokeswoman stated that the company had a goal of producing cosmetics that when worn would make a woman look like she would when she was happy. 
And I thought, well, I'm not sure how they're going to pull that off. But all I could picture was the face of a clown. Yep, you know, with the white line drawn on the face in a smile while his lips remain going straight across. And I'm like, I really don't think that's what the company wants to achieve. Um, but I didn't listen to the rest of the spiel, honestly. Thankfully, some of the uh, YouTube commercials give you an opportunity to opt out of listening to the rest of it. I took it. Okay, so I, I didn't hear the rest of, of what they were going to promise, but it got me wondering. I thought, when did all of this commercial business start? When did it start? And as Pat pointed out when I brought that, that subject up to him, he said that I wasn't content until I found out. Well, he was right. <laughs> I Googled it on my phone as we were out for a walk on Thursday night. And I learned in regards to television that the first commercial aired on July 1st of 1941. 1941. So most of us in the room, not all, but most of us in the room, have never experienced TV without commercials. The first commercial was... Um, on, on, again, on July 1st, and, and it was when the Brooklyn Dodgers were facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies at Ebbets Field in New York. And before the per first pitch was thrown out, the broadcast of WNBT, the first true commercial aired in the U.S. And, and it was short. It was a simple spot for Bolova, Bolova, maybe you know, a watch company. All right, and, and it pictured the, the hand of the, the clock, the second hand, ticking. And then this voiceover came on, and it said that America runs on Boulevard time. That was it. That was it. It ran for 10 seconds. 10 seconds and cost $9. Now, wouldn't it be great if commercials only lasted 10 seconds long today? And I'm sure a lot of, of, of advertisers would like it if they only cost $9. Because right now, the average TV ad costs around $8,000. That's, of course, exempting the Super Bowl, which their ads cost $5 million for 30 seconds. Crazy, crazy. <laughs> but all of this commercial stuff got me pondering. How often do consumers fall for the shallow promises of a product or a service? I took a sabbatical for TV for a little while. And to this day, I, I watch very little of it. But I must say, I haven't missed it. But when I do occasionally watch programming with commercials, it's a whole lot easier to pick out um, that, that they're wanting to uh, convince you that you need a product or a service. And it's quite often a product or a service that you didn't even know you needed. You've been living just perfectly fine without it all these years, and boom, there it is, and, well, you need this thing. See, they seek to breed discontent. They seek to breed discontent. Now, the commercial thing did not drive today's title for the message. God's Word did. So as we continue our, our series, Joy, this morning, the title of today's message is Joy and True Contentment. 
joy and true contentment, a timely message for we don't live in a culture that fosters contentment. But there's hope. But there's hope. So in this passage this morning, if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be there starting in verse 10. But Paul is starting to wrap up his letter to the church in Philippi here in the middle of the fourth chapter. And, and we know from previous messages and from hopefully everybody has read the book of Philippians now um, as we've moved through the summer. But we've learned that, that Paul's writing these words of encouragement. But we also know that he's writing a thank you note as well as he's put this together. Because he wanted to thank the, the Philippian church for the gift that they had sent through Epaphroditus to him. And so before we read the word this morning, let's just take a moment and, and bow our heads. We agree with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, it is always a timely message for us. There is always something that is powerful that can transform our lives, that it can encourage us, that can equip us to follow after you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for today's word, and we ask that you would take it and transform our lives through it, because there is power in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Philippians chapter 4, again, starting with verse 10, Paul writes, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Paul's praise and thanksgiving here reminds us that couriers were hard to come by back in his day at this time when he's writing this letter. We didn't, you know, he didn't have the opportunity to just have, or the church didn't have the opportunity to, to take their package and drop it off at, at USPS or USP or USPS and, you know, all the different words, didn't know FedEx, anything like that. And so they had to arrange for a courier, and of course it took the courier a long time to deliver the package. So Paul is explaining and, and that he understands that, that even though it's been a while since he's heard from them or seen a package from them, he wanted to say that he was thankful for it. And he recognized that it, they didn't have that opportunity to show their concern. So continuing on with verse 11, Paul writes, Not that I was ever in need. He thanks them and then says, Not that I was ever in need. And that can be kind of puzzling for us when we just take that little phrase because it seems like Paul might be communicating that he really didn't appreciate it or that maybe he didn't have a use for it. That somehow the saints in, in Philippi missed what God was saying and they thought that he was prompting them to send a care package. But as we read on, we get a clear understanding of what Paul is really trying to communicate here. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Learn to be content with whatever I have. I think it should be comfort for us that Paul, the great apostle, even had to learn to be content. That should encourage us as we learn to be content as well. Because contentment does not come naturally for humanity. 
discontent, of course, dates all the way back to where? The garden. The garden. And so in that, we know it's not natural. Contentment, though, is a virtue that must be learned. So as we study the scriptures, we can see that Paul gave, or God gave Paul lots of opportunity to put to good work the practice, the learning of contentment. Now we could scope through all the scriptures and pick up on this, but thankfully Paul gives us a summary in his own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In verse 23, he starts out, or, or halfway through it, he starts out with, I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. i faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. Doesn't give them much room, does it? Yeah. Okay. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and have often gone out with gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without having enough clothing to keep me warm. In addition to that, we also know he had a thorn in his side that he could not get rid of. All these experiences developed a godly perspective in Paul about contentment. As he faced challenge after challenge, situation after situation, fear, danger, hunger, thirst, cold, beatings, stoning, all of these situations taught Paul contentment. It also led Paul to be able to write in verse 12 to the Philippian church these words, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul learned the secret of true contentment through the challenges and situations that he faced, putting all situations into proper godly perspective. We can do the same. So let's start out with knowing what true contentment is not, because I think it's going to help us to have a better perspective. So true contentment is not about um, having a perspective that it will be what it'll be. This is kind of what that Stoic philosophy of Paul's day would say. That mindset that contentment is, is some self-sufficient fortitude that enables one to, to kind of allow the things um, that life brings to, to do that all with a calmness because it will be what it will be. That I will put on my happy face with my strength philosophy. True contentment is not found in self-sufficiency. You can be assured that uh, when I put together a message for a Sunday morning, that God is working on that same area in my life as well. 
And so while I uh, <clears throat> put together the message this uh, week, um, it was no different. God was working on my heart. You see, there's been times in my life, numerous times that is, that I've been com confronted with a, a situation that isn't what I would want it to be. Not to the extent that Paul has experienced, of course, but I've had stuff in my life that I would have rather it have not been the situation. And so in that, I sometimes find myself sighing with a shrug stating, it is what it is. Well, that might be true. But in preparing for the message this week, I must say I was convicted in that while it might be very true that a situation is what it is, is this phrase really helpful in me learning contentment and joy? I should say joy and true contentment. Or does it more resemble a resigned attitude, a joyless stance. It is what it is. So I had to remind myself this week as well, I am learning true contentment. See, contentment's not a self-sufficient fortitude, our own strength. It's not resignation what true joy could actually be found in that. And so we need to keep that godly perspective, and we also have to have godly priorities. You know, in our affluent country and, and culture, we can get our priorities out of alignment in, of gods in, in a short order. Author Chris Tegren observed that we do not live in a content culture. Our society is moved primarily by restlessness. Deep down, we know that things aren't right. And the knee-jerk reaction of the secular world is to try and fix the situation. Well, let's face it. Man's attempt to fix a situation is usually pretty short-sighted. So bringing it back to that intent of commercials, that intent to cause discontentment, Many, even in the church, have fallen into the trap that we need the next latest and greatest, whatever it might be. We sometimes think that it will somehow bring us the happiness that we're seeking. For some reason, we're restless in our spirit. That somehow, whatever this thing that we think that we need will somehow make our lives complete. In fact, we sense our life isn't going to be complete until we have it. Now, that might be a vehicle, it might be a home, status, health, vacation, job, a skill, income level, whatever it might be that we're seeking. Do we ever consider that maybe we don't have it because it's not God's timing? Or maybe he doesn't think we even need it at all. Now, I'm not saying that some of those things aren't necessary in life. It's just, what is our mindset in pursuing those things? It's not wrong to desire those things, but they must never be our focus and our contentment because our contentment shouldn't be dependent on things. 
we also can consider that perhaps God is just wanting to uh, protect us from the plenty that we're seeking. Because he knows that if we acquire it, that it might become a distraction for us or a hindrance in our relationship with him. Or perhaps he knows that, that we will only find discontent when we get it in due time. Again, Chris Tegren observed, many foolish decisions have been made out of the emptiness of discontent. That's a frightening place from which to guide a life. But we do it often. We want something more, something better, because we're not quite happy with our lot in life. We forget one unwavering scriptural principle, he says. God is the author of our lot. Now, there's nothing wrong with holy ambition, he says. The key for us is to make sure that it's actually holy. God has placed within us a desire to work and to accomplish things, especially for his glory, but we can deceive ourselves easily thinking that we're working for God. Get this, in, when in fact, we're working to escape the place he's put us in. On the other end of Paul's plenty is little. And with the little, sometimes worry creeps in. We wonder, will we have enough? Will we have enough? And so if any of us are in this place this morning, this is a good reminder. And if we're not in that place, it's a good reminder for us to, when we do get into that place. Because worry, doubt, and fear will diminish our joy. It'll diminish our contentment. Jesus teaches on contentment and trusting in God's sufficiency for what we need in Matthew chapter 6. He says in 25, verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store in barn, food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God, Jesus said, above all else, and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, above possessions, above provision, above position. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God will supply 
all our needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The ways of the world are striving and discontent, encouraging us to grab for things that we believe will make us happy. But the ways of God lead to thriving and contentment because he's our source. As we learn to trust God in his all-sufficiency, just as Paul had learned, this is what enabled him to write with confidence this well-known, often quoted verse. Verse 13 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul wrote, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Everything. Sweet. What does that mean? Does that mean if I make a determination that I'm going to hike Mount Everest, it's done? Does that mean if you decide that you're going to start a Fortune 500 company um, and it's going to happen within six months? I think we kind of understand that's not quite what God's word is saying here. God's word is not promising accomplishment in all things. But rather that we can trust that we will have the strength of Christ to do all that God wills for us to do. As one commentary points out, the power we receive in union with Christ is sufficient to do his will and face the challenges that arise from our commitment to doing it. He does not grant a superhuman ability to accomplish anything we can imagine without regard to his interest. He gives us strength to do everything through Christ as long as it's in God's will. Our strength comes from Christ. His power through the Holy Spirit working in us is sufficient in every situation. This circles back to understanding that contentment is not self-sufficient fortitude. True contentment is Christ-sufficient strength, empowering us during every season of life. Even in times of seemingly uncertainty, he gives us the strength that we need. That's what Paul is talking about here. And there's many verses in the Old Testament that speak prophetically of Christ's sufficiency. Isaiah 41.10 is but one of them. And the prophet wrote, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my righteous right hand. We can take God at his word, for he is faithful, and trustworthy. So when he also says in Isaiah 43, 2 and 3, he says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. So when he says that, we can be assured that he will do it. We can experience joy and true contentment as we keep our perspective and our priorities grounded in Christ and his sufficiency. 
no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how old that we grow. God says to the prophet again in Isaiah, in, in verse, or chapter 64, verse 4, he says, I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you, and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. Contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. It's not based on temporary external things. It's far deeper than that. It's trusting in Christ. It's trusting in Christ. Because if we are trust in our stuff, or trust in our health, or in our wealth, or in our abilities, or in a position, all of those things could be taken away in a blink of an eye. And so God invites us to put our trust in Him instead, in, in the Christ sufficiency that He gives us. And He gives us the strength, no matter what our circumstances might look like, and so that we can say just as confidently as Paul did, don't have a need because God knows what I need. It doesn't mean we don't ask, but we know that we can rest, that God's got it all figured out. True contentment is based on trusting in Christ. And it's something that we learn by experiencing his holy presence, working within us as we seek him through prayer as we spend time in his presence, as we spend time in his word. It's that daily living with him in relationship that he gives us the strength and that we can then say we can experience joy and true contentment. Not the surfacey things of the world, but in true contentment now and for all of eternity. And so the challenge is this morning, what or who are you putting your trust in? Is it your stuff? Is it yourself? Or is it the Savior? We're going to end service a little different today. And, and in just a, a minute, um, I'm going to invite you to, to come forward. And, and I realize um, some um, of you, it, it's harder um, to be a little bit more mobile, but I would ask.